your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16 this morning. And Paul's going to give some guidelines for public worship. Guidelines for public worship. Now, when you look at verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, uh, verse 1 really ties in with the end of chapter 10. So let's look at verse uh, 33 of chapter 10, and then we'll read uh, into verse 2. It says, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Now here comes verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Now, at this point, he's going to move into the guidelines for public worship. Verse 2, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. In the first 10 chapters, Paul has talked about several different subjects related to the spiritual and moral, moral life of the Christian. And now he moves on to issues that deal with public worship. And in verses 2 through 16, Paul is going to talk about the appearance of men and women in public worship. And the Bible makes it clear that God is interested in what we're wearing and is what we look like. You know, even, you know, from our, from our clothing to our hair. Uh, if God knows how many hairs... You know, we have on our head, I'm guessing that he cares about what it looks like. Uh, now, in the first portion, he's, he's dealing with the culture of that time. All right, and he's setting it, what, what he's saying here deals with the culture at that time. So, again, then the, at the end, he's going to speak, you know, to the churches um, that, again, aren't, you know, ruled by these, these cultures of that day. So... Uh, like I said, in verses 2 through 16, he speaks about the appearance of men and women in public worship. God has a lot to say about these and other related subjects. The most intimate details of our lives are under God's inspection. He sees everything. There's probably no other subject that takes up more space and time in commercials and advertisements, you know, newspapers, magazines, radio, TV, of what men and women wear. And the Word of God has, has some things to say about that as well. So, uh, again, let's look at verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you uh, remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Paul says, I'm so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts. He says, and you're following the Christian teachings that I passed on to you. You know, he says, the, now the word remember here in verse 2 gives the idea of fixture in the mind. He's saying that, that those things that I've taught you, the traditions that I've taught you, they're a fixture in your mind or of mental grasp. And even though they were immature and they had a lot of problems, they respected what Paul said. They respected his authority. They respected his teaching, uh, his godly wisdom uh, in some areas of the doctrine that they were trying to know and where they were trying to follow the Lord's will. The word traditions means those things that were passed along by teaching. And in the New Testament, it's used in a negative way, referring to men's ideas or practices. The word traditions or ordinances is not only for instructions. 
that's transmitted from generation to generation, but for any instruction, whether it relates to, to faith or practice. But the word is also used for divinely revealed teaching, like it is here and also in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, where Paul says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions or the teachings which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. So the Corinthian believers were holding steadfastly to Paul's inspired teaching. The simple problem in the Corinthian church really wasn't about doctrine. It wasn't about knowing the word. It was about living the word. It was about morals. The problem wasn't theology. It was lifestyle. They were conservative. They were purists, but not poor, not pure. They remembered and they believed the basic truths about God's nature and work. But they didn't live it. They didn't live godly lives. And this is where we lose people. And so Paul applauds the Corinthians here for their strength uh, before he again starts to set them straight about their weaknesses. So again, he's applauding their strengths. And he does that before he gets into their weaknesses, which is... Their misunderstanding about male and female roles and relationships. Verse 3. Paul then says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So, Paul says some enlightening things here about the, uh, about the women. Some of these truths will be liked by the women of our day and some will be disliked. But it doesn't change these truths of God. The role of women has become a very sensitive issue today in our society, especially during the last several years. The battle for women's rights has come to the point where it's, just, it's, it's even gotten out of balance in society. The work of the enemy started with secular society, but it's now made its way into the churches and the church being weak and anemic so often catches the world's diseases and accepts the morality or the lack of it at the time. Now, some Christian leaders and writers have gone as far as to teach principles that try to redefine or even change biblical truth just to accommodate the world's way of thinking and the, and the conduct or personal feelings of those, of those teachers and the world. But to do that, they have to believe that Paul, Peter, and other spiritual writers added some of their own opinion to God's word. Or that the apostles sometimes taught culturally. And instead of determining God's standards, they, they're the ones that determined the standards and the customs. So, again, if that's the way that, that, that people think, then each man, each woman has to decide for themselves what part of scripture is inspired and what part isn't. What part am I going to uh, adhere to? And what part uh, am I not going to adhere to? So it makes them then the judge over God's word. Satan anxiously tries to upset God's order any way that he can. And one basic way is to change the male and female roles and relationships, which, which Satan is having a lot of success at doing that right now. The Corinthian church was facing a situation like the one that we face today. And it seems that the believers who wrote to Paul back in chapter 7 asked for his word on the role of women. Paul was blessed <clears throat> that they were looking to God's word 
for the answers about this and other matters, and that they loved and respected Paul, and that basically they said, hey, we want to stick to sound doctrine. And in verses 3 through 6, it's a question of sensible priorities. All right, ordinarily, and again, speaking of the culture of that time, different time, different culture, but principles that will apply to today. Ordinarily, women who came to public worship uh, wore a veil over over their heads to show modesty and submission. The question of Christian women continuing to observe this oriental custom is the subject that's in question here. Now, why did this uh, question come up? We don't know. It might have been something that Paul taught. But he did say in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that in Christ all things have become new. Now, because all things have become new in Christ, maybe now because of this new freedom, some may have thought that wearing a veil was no longer necessary. Not only that, if a woman was inspired to speak in public, then wouldn't it be okay for her to take off her veil and to show up in public among men like others did? But Paul felt strongly that women should cover their heads in a public service. So he's limiting, he limits a freedom in worship by making some sensible priorities. So he goes on to give this authority structure in verse 3. Let's read that again. He says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So he gives this threefold authority structure in relationship. And this is for the purpose of order, to eliminate confusion. If we didn't have an authority structure, and it's not just in the home. If we didn't have authority structure in the workplace and in government and the city laws, it would be a mess. I mean, you see how they, a lot of times it's out of order anyway because they're not listening to a lot of instruction. But if we didn't have it, it would be total chaos. The principle again, of this authority structure is important in the church as well as the home. Today, everybody wants to be the leader. Nobody wants to follow. Nobody wants to be in a position of submission. Today, many churches teach leadership training. Now, again, where do you find leadership training in the Bible? It's like many churches have support groups. Where do you find support groups in the Bible? The Bible teaches everything you need to learn about all subjects. See, we really don't need the support groups. We really don't need the leadership training. You see, what we need is people who will live, um, who will live and act like Christians. The bottom line is obedience. That's the important thing. Because Paul said it really well in 2 Timothy 3.16. He gave, he gave everything we need in this verse. He says, all scripture, all scripture from Genesis to Revelation is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine. That means for what's right. It's profitable for reproof, for what's not right. For correction, for making it right. And for instruction in righteousness, for staying right. So that the man of God or the woman of God, notice, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There it is. Everything in his scripture is for us that we may be complete, thoroughly equipped for what? Every good, every good work. So the word of God is to teach us what's right 
It's to teach us what's not right. It's for making things right and for keeping things right for everything that we do in life, in our walk. The important word in verse 3 is head. The head. Because the head is the part of the body that gives the direction. Paul doesn't say that the head of every Christian man is Christ. The word man here means all men. He says the head of every man is Christ. Because it's the normal and right order for Jesus to be the head of every man. Until a man is governed by Christ, he's not a normal man. Some men are governed by alcohol. Some men are governed by lust, money, whatever it might be. Basically, all men are governed by their flesh. Every man should be governed by Jesus Christ. The heart of man is and always will be restless until Jesus becomes his head in his life. Men who have done great things for God have made Christ their head. Then he goes on to say the head of woman is man. But notice, not any man. Notice it doesn't say every woman. It's conditional. And it refers to marriage, where the woman is to respond to the man. It's normal for the woman to be subject to the man in marriage because it's the order that God set up. If a woman can't look up to a man and respect him, she shouldn't follow him. And for sure, she shouldn't marry him. But a godly woman uh, responds with every part of her being to the man that she loves. And likewise, the man. He must be the man who's willing to die for her. As Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We're the bride. Jesus Christ loved his wife. He even gave his life for her. And then Ephesians 5.24, Just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything, but everything that's godly. And then Paul says, The head of Christ is God. Now, There's no contradiction here. Jesus said in John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. But then he also said in John 14, 28, my Father is greater than I. Now, what does that mean? My Father and I are one, but then he says my Father is greater than I. It's speaking about position. Remember, Jesus Christ left heaven. He's God. He is God. And he left heaven to come down to be a servant of man. He came down to be a servant to show us how to live godly lives. So in his position, he was under the authority of the Father. And that's why he says, my Father is greater than I. Positionally. It's based on the position that we hold in life. In the work of redemption, Jesus voluntarily, in obedience to the Father, took a lower place. And he was made, the Bible says, lower than the angels. So Jesus walked a humble path down here. He came as a servant under the authority of his Father. And though, therefore, we are admonished in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Uh, it says, in your life together, think the way Christ Jesus thought. He was like God in every way, but he did not think that his being equal with God was something to use for his own benefit. Instead, he gave up everything, even his place with God. He accepted the role of a servant appearing in human form. 
During his life as a man, he humbled himself by being fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death, the death on the cross. But again, notice the word obedient. The principle of subordination and authority applies to all men and all women, not just to husbands and wives. It goes beyond the family to all positions you know, in life. Now, again, there's submission in the workplace. There's submission to city laws. There's submission to authorities. There's submission to the government, to home, to work, in the military. I mean, at your workplace, uh, again, you have a boss, you have supervisors, directors, and, and whatever the organization structure might be. Now, you have the one who, who gives the, the, the direction, and then those under him, they're to follow that direction. Now, if you didn't, if you didn't follow the direction of, of, of the company, most likely you're going to get written up, you're going to get terminated, you aren't going to have a job. Our job as being under their authority is to submit to them in everything, you know, that's, that's lawful and, and you know, uh, appropriate. Uh, can you imagine the military without the authority structure that they have? I mean, for those who have been in the military, they totally understand that. It would be chaos. Can you imagine, again, military without submission to the authority? The Apostle Paul compared the life of a Christian in many ways to a soldier because in Rome, he was surrounded by thousands of Roman soldiers. You know, when I went into the Air Force and I went through basic training, it was, it was very interesting because of many of the things that we had to do. And, and a lot of the things that we had to do made no sense whatsoever to me. And I don't know about the other folks that have been in the military, but they asked us to do some really, again, silly stuff. For example, um, you couldn't have, you know, you had your toothpaste, you had all of your hygienic stuff, but you, you, you couldn't have any residual toothpaste on the threads on the tube or in the cap. As a matter of fact, on the tubes, you couldn't even have dents in it at home. How, would you, how do you keep dents out of the tube of tooth? You couldn't have, you'd had to roll up. So what are the guys use? They just get the powdered can of toothpaste because that, that, that wasn't liquid. You wouldn't get it on the cap and you wouldn't have dents in the can. You couldn't have lint on your towels. Your clothes in, the, your, your, clothes in your locker, the hangers had to be spaced two inches apart. Your razor, you couldn't have any residual soap or, or, or beard pieces on your razor blade. So, and these were just a few of the things. And I used to think, what? Don't these guys have anything better to do? They must be bored to come out. And they would have barracks inspections and they'd come in and they'd look for that stuff. And if they'd find you, they'd gig you. And, and you weren't the one who, the whole barracks suffered. Everybody had to be in line. And I used to think this was the craziest thing. They taught us the other stuff you'd expect, how to, you know, fire your M16 and, and other, you know, training for combat and stuff. But um, those other things, I thought, what is, what's the purpose? And then when we graduated and the uh, instructor, the drill instructor was giving us our, you know, our congrats and some were receiving orders to where they were going to be deployed next. And um, at the end of it, he says, does anybody have any questions? dead silence we weren't used to being asked if we wanted to speak and so we didn't we thought is it a trick and so we were waiting and I, I said i'm gonna wait to see if somebody else and so other guys started to speak and then i i asked the question i had wanted all 
And I, I said, hey, what was the, pur- sir, I said, what was the purpose of these things? And I just, I, I didn't call him silly to his face. I said, you know, all these things, you know, what was the purpose of that? First word I was with, obedience. Obedience. Because if you're ever in a combat situation, we don't have time to explain why. Our purpose to keep you alive. So when we give the orders, we need you to follow. As silly as they may seem, as they, and as much as they don't make sense to you, we need you to, 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 to be obedient and follow the orders. And, and, and you can see why Paul related so much to, 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 to the Roman soldiers uh, as the Christian life. You know, Jesus is our head, man. He's the captain of our salvation. He gives the orders. I'm not to question why. I'm to do it because of his infinite wisdom. And my position is one of submission to him. He's my head, my captain. You see, so, you know, we, we are fighting a spiritual battle. You know, and, and, and the Lord knows our enemy much better than we do. And he, we, he, needs, he, he knows what we need to, to get victory over our enemy. So again, our, our job is to submit to the Lord and get the victory as he leads us through the battle. God gave the basic order of creation. And as, as Paul explains later on in verses 8 and 9, that's the way God planned it. That's the way God created mankind. It's the way he made us. And Paul inseparably ties the three aspects of the principle uh, principle here in verse 3 together. As Christ is submissive to the Father, and Christians are to be submissive to to Christ, uh, women are to be submissive to men, specifically their husbands, in in the order of the home. Again, it's strictly a positional order. Again, you you can't reject one part of what Paul said in verse 3, this authority structure, you can't reject one part without rejecting the others. For example, you can't reject the, the principle of women's submission to man without also rejecting Christ's submission to the Father and the believer's submission to Christ. And it's clear that the man being head of the woman means the same thing as Christ being head of the man. In other words, it's his sovereign leadership requiring submission that recognizes the advantage of such leadership of love. It's a leadership of love. The authority and submission in each of these cases, in verse 3, is based on love. Christ came here because he loved us. We as Christians submit to him because of love. And it's the same thing. As a husband loves his wife, then the wife in love submits to him. So it's a leadership of love. The authority and submission in each of these cases is based on love, not domination, not superiority. The Father sent Jesus to us out of love, not under pressure. He sent him here to redeem us, for God so loved the world. And the Son submitted to the Father out of love, not under pressure. Jesus loves the church so much that he died for it. And he rules the church in love, not oppression. And in response, the church, that's us, we submit to him in love. We submit to him because we love him. 
And as the church is subject to Christ, and this is the way Paul uses the example, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And again, everything that's godly. In the same way, men in general and husbands especially should exercise their authority in love, not oppression. They're not given this authority because they're smarter or because they're superior or they're anything above their wife. They're not. Paul said in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, mod nor free, male nor female. We're all equal. He said all one in Jesus Christ. It's in the positions that God places us in that makes it different. God's creation and God's order. Again, they're not given this, the husbands are not given this authority because they're superior or have greater ability, but simply because of God's design. Women respond in loving submission as they were designed to do. Bob, uh, 1 Timothy 2.11, and Paul said, hey, Adam was formed first, then Eve. So again, and this isn't a matter of comparing dignity or worth or superiority, like I said, but of position and responsibility. Now, Paul's going to apply this principle of headship to what's going on in Corinth. An unveiled woman in Corinth was a prostitute. Now, obviously, that situation in our church and community is quite different. But the principle here still applies. Look at verse 4 as he speaks about the unveiled man. Verse 4 says, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. The best way to understand this is that Paul here is referring to the service of believers in ministry for the Lord and the public, where a clear testimony is important. A clear testimony. Usually praying means talking to God about people. And then in, in, in the sense we talk to God, Lord, help this brother or sister, you know, they're, they're sick or they're hurting. So we pray to God, we talk to God about people in that way. And then we talk to God about ourselves. Lord, you know, I need or, you know, help me in this area. Uh, and again, uh, or prophesying. You know, we talk about God, we talk uh, prophesying, it's teaching. So we're talking to people about God when we teach, that's prophesying. So the Jews always wore a head covering in the temple or a synagogue as a sign of reference when they did these things. Only the Greek slaves wore a head covering and the uncovered head was a sign of freedom. Paul here simply tells the Corinthian men, follow your custom which was to appear without a head covering. For them to worship with the head uncovered showed respect and reverence for God as ruler and king. And then in verses 5 through 6, it speaks of the veiled woman in verses 5 through 6. Again, in the custom of that day. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if uh, her head were shaved. Verse 6. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn or, or shaved. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. In those days, in that culture, the married women wore veils. The idea of wearing the veil was that no man would look at her and lust after her beauty. She saved her beauty for her husband. So when she went into public, she would wear the veil. Because usually the only women that didn't wear veils were the prostitutes who often shave their heads also. So if you saw a woman without a veil, 
or a shaved head, it was pretty commonly accepted that she was a prostitute. So for a woman to pray or to prophesy with her head unveiled would dishonor her head, which was her husband, because the husband, the head of the wife, so it would be the same if she was shaven, which was a sign of being a prostitute. And in Corinth, there were over 1,000 prostitutes from the temple of Aphrodite in Corinth. They would come down into the city, and the money that they earned would support the temple of Aphrodite. So Paul's talking about the situation there in Corinth, about the necessity of keeping order. And notice that he acknowledges that women were allowed to pray or prophesy. And again, there are many things that, that the women can do in the church. The only restriction that Paul spoke about to Timothy was in 1 Timothy 12, 14, where he said they were not to teach or have authority over man. The reason being is because that misrepresents God's order. He said, for God made Adam first and afterward he made Eve. And again, not a question of superiority, not a question of human rights. It's a, it's, it's a sign of the will of God. It was will, God's will. Subordination is not a punishment. As mentioned earlier, we have it in many other areas of life. Dress is mostly cultural. And, and unless what a person wears is immodest or sexually improper, it has, it, it has no moral or spiritual significance. All through biblical times, like in many parts of the world today, both men and, men and women wore some type of robe. But there was always clear distinction of the dress between men and women and, and there is to be a clear distinction between a man and a woman god's word makes that clear that line is not to be blurred where you can't tell a man from a woman most it's mostly indicated by hair length and head coverings again mentioned here at this time but again it's still applicable to today uh, again that the, the distinction is to be clear but it's the principle of women's subordination to men, not the particular symbol or the mark of that subordination that Paul's teaching about here. It wasn't so much wearing the veil or not wearing the veil. It was the actual doing of it that he's teaching. Paul isn't laying down a worldwide standard that Christian women should always worship with their heads covered. That's basically what I was saying. Look at verses 7 through 10 now. Principles in creation. Verses 7 through 10. He says, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. And for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. He says, from the New Limits translation, let me read those three verses. Uh, a man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping. For man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory. A woman, ref uh, for the first uh, man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came from man. And man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. For this reason, and because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show she is under authority. Now, in the beginning, when God created Adam... God said it is not good that man should be alone. So God created the woman for his companionship, not to be above her or not to be below her, but beside her. So she was created by God that man might have companionship, and she became his wife. When Eve ate the forbidden fruit and offered it to Adam, he ate. 
When God began to tell the woman what her consequences would be, he said in Genesis 3.16, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. That was God's ruling as a consequence of their sin. So you're talking about the beginning order that God established back in Genesis. So Paul goes back to that point, and he shows, that, he shows you that this order is the order that God set up from the very beginning. Again, looking at verse 10. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. And here's the point, because of the angels. Now, the common understanding of this in verse 10 is that angels are here in our midst. And they're watching. And they're concerned with the divine order of God and in keeping divine order. Verse 11 and 12. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things from God. Here's the sensible equality. Paul is careful to remove any reason for the mistreatment of a woman under the appearance of religious teachings. Her role is one of, sub, uh, of submission, one in the order of creation. That was the creation order. It's positionally. And this role is to be expressed by a modest and discreet wearing of the veil in public at that time. In practice and in private life, though, man and woman are equal and mutually dependent. They're one in the Lord. And again, that's made clear in Galatians 3.28. There's neither man nor woman, but are all are one in Christ Jesus. In addition to the natural standpoint... Man can't be independent of the woman because the woman came from man. And so man also comes through woman. On a personal basis, man and woman are to submit to one another in the fear of God. Ephesians 5.21. We are to submit to one another. Ultimately, all things are from God. So all ranks and all levels disappear in God's grace and in his service. We're all one, all equal in Jesus Christ. Verse 13 through 16, personal, here's, we have some personal and natural lessons. Paul said, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom nor do the churches of god and so here's the bottom line in talking about head coverings and length of hair paul is saying that believers should look and behave in ways that are honorable in their own culture in a lot of cultures long hair on men is considered appropriate and masculine in corinth it was thought to be a sign of male prostitution in the pagan temples And women with short hair were considered prostitutes. So Paul was saying that in the Corinthian culture, Christian women should keep their hair long. If short hair on women was a sign of prostitution, then a Christian Christian woman with short hair would find it hard to be a believable witness for Christ. So in closing, Paul was not saying we should adopt all the practices of our culture but that we should avoid appearances and behavior that take away from or weaken our ultimate goal, which is being a good witness for Jesus Christ. 
Paul finishes by saying that the church shouldn't make rules about the way women dress or about hair. What's really important is the inner man and the inner woman. It's the old nature that needs the haircut. It's the old nature that needs to, to change its appearance and put on the right appearance. And that needs to be putting on the robe of righteousness, the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ. If we're clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness, and if our own nature is under the control of the Holy Spirit, that will take care of the outer man. The haircut, the style of clothes, that won't make a difference. It's just an outward thing. Paul is saying that he's not giving a rule to the churches. He's just telling them what's best in his opinion. So we need to remember that in all our Christian liberty, we are to think of others and we're to think of our testimony. What kind of a testimony are we giving when we speak and when people see us? Is it honorable to God? So you see, Paul, what Paul's pointing out here is that we should be guided by the principles that he has laid down to glorify God and to not offend others. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. And again, Lord, it's, it's beautiful, Father, that uh, you've again laid down the instructions for everything, God. All we need to do is to open the word and to read it, Father, and we'll find the answer to everything there, Lord. So we thank you so much for leaving this wonderful book, God, and for giving us your wisdom, God, the wisdom from heaven. Lord, help us to be followers of Jesus Christ, God, to be doers of the word of God. For as James says, those who do the word of God are the ones that will be blessed, God. Help us to not rebel or, or to get angry, God, but, but to be, Lord, uh, uh, obedient to you, Lord obedience the highest form of worship god we thank you and it's in jesus name we pray amen